Red Dice Diaries podcast, a rambling journey through the wonderful world of RPGs by a longtime GM and player. The music at the start of this podcast is Shinigami by Tarek, used under Creative Commons license. I'm joined by Wit, Johannes, Matthew and John Drury, and we're going to talk a little bit about cyberpunk. Now, I've got to confess that I don't particularly have a massive experience of cyberpunk in terms of role-playing, although I enjoy quite a lot of the fiction and the, the sort of TV shows and the films, etc. So I'm relying on you guys to lead me through. So I've generally found that like the, the cyberpunk RPGs that I've read haven't particularly like scratched the sort of like the bits of the the genre that I particularly like. But I think first of all, it's probably important reach some sort of consensus about what we actually think cyberpunk is as a genre, just to make sure we're not all talking at cross purposes and we're all talking about different things. So shockingly, I've done a little bit of research for this. Now, if you if you Google cyberpunk, the definition it gives you is a genre of science fiction set in a lawless subculture of an oppressive society dominated by technology. I think it's spot on as a generic definition for what the genre generally represents. I think it's missing the sort of it's a futuristic technology. It's it's more futuristic in in, in most common. It does say specifically by computer technology, so it yeah. does give us that. It ha- but that has a wide spectrum. Obviously, the, t- the computer technology they were yeah. predicting in when the genre was first born, we have now. So now the new cyberpunks would have to be even more futuristic. And, and we, yeah. we have a lot of stuff that they never thought would happen. Like, this is a thing that yeah. gets asked about uh, all the time. Like, why? Like you wrote the Neuromancer, Gibson. You're, you're the daddy, the granddaddy <laughs> of cyberpunk. Why didn't you put cell phones in there? And, and he's constantly like, I, I, didn't, I didn't guess that. <laughs> I, I didn't yeah, I'm, I'm just a man. There's also a certain element of transhumanism, I think, that the first parts of that began in the cyberpunk genre. People were enhancing themselves. And I think even newer months, they talked about techno shock, where it's a little bit too. Humanity can't quite handle the changes as they. As they're happening, Absolutely. I think that's a big part of cyberpunk as well. Yeah, I mean, I think p- part of the the issue, well, with a lot of different genres, but certainly with sci-fi in particular, is obviously there's lots of different subgenres of sci-fi, but you tend to get quite a bit of like bleed in between them. So if you say, just as an example, if you say, for instance, like cyberpunk is about incorporating technology sort of into the human body into the human person we also see a lot of other sci-fi genres where there's people with like um, bionic limbs there i mean if, even if you like, look at things like star wars there's obviously like uh, mechanical hands there's the the administrators the who have like the, yeah they have like the computers that are attached vader. to their brains exactly vader <laughs> yeah so i think there's a lot of bleed between the different subgenres, and that can make it sort of a little bit difficult to define. But wait, you're like the cyberpunk guy, if you'll forgive me for for calling you that. So, <laughs> if if someone was to ask you to like put you on the spot, like I'm doing now, and say like, right, what's cyberpunk to you? What would you say? I think definitely um, the the description we've heard so far is pretty much right on the money. It's definitely there are certain elements that I think there's if you took the big Venn diagram of sci-fi and the elements that influence cyberpunk. Uh, noir is a huge, huge part of it, obviously. That's where you get all those kind of, you know, uh, 
like Blade Runner detectives and you know it's very very dark and there's always uh, shadows and it's always raining and you have the probably like the Orwellian 1984 kind of revolutionary going up against the big organisations big governments big corporations and I think the kind of transhumanism that's sort of like enhancing yourself and where does humanity go from here question is also another big part of that and I think that it all kind of blends into one to sort of form this little uh, kind of sci-fi change from that kind of post-war futurism to you know going and seeing planets and uh, meeting alien races and um, those old sort of four-color covers with green women and all that kind of stuff and I think we sort of got to a point that um, it sort of changed and people wanted something that was a little bit more politically aware and a little bit more revolutionary I think the revolutionary part I guess cyberpunk um, is, a, is a huge part of that as well so um, yeah I think I've covered everything yeah I mean obviously yeah, um so in terms of like RPGs, like Cyberpunk 2020 is one of the sort of like, if you want to call it the forerunners or one of the sort of big names in that. The and old school. Yeah, the, the old the old school name, if you prefer. <laughs> now, I, I know that was inspired a lot by the novel Hardwired by Walter Williams, which I have read like years and years ago. And if I, if I remember correctly for that, that, that involved a lot of these sort of um, these government organisations which seemingly controlled like every facet of existence and it was about a couple of people like a, a hired gun and uh, someone who was more involved with like the tech sort of like teaming up to try and escape from a planet and escape from the, the sort of leash that those like megacorps if you want to call it that had sort of slipped around society and that control so i think for me it's always been about sort of taking that idea of that that noir sort of aesthetic but sort of in wrapping it up in like a sort of futuristic wrapper and incorporating the these ideas of like technology and uh, corporations getting out of control and, and basically one of the things I, I always like about it is the sort of theme of how much personal control do we actually have over ourselves and society and for me i've never really found uh, an rpg that sort of portrayed that in a in a satisfactory way for me so to, to throw it open to you guys in terms of like your sort of experience if you have any of cyberpunk rpgs have there been any particular games that you thought have portrayed the sort of the cyberpunk aesthetic and ethos particularly well well for me i don't have a ton of experience with the rpg side of it uh it's mostly with shadowrun uh and um personally speaking in terms of a setting i think shadowrun is obviously a mix of both a cyberpunk and an urban fantasy uh so for me it hits the nail on the head of one of the elements I like most about cyberpunk, which tends to be that sort of a noirish, uh, oppressive feeling that you tend to get in it. Uh, the technology is ubiquitous. The magic is ubiquitous. Uh, everybody is 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 on a, a nice edge, even from the you know the dragons of the setting all the way down to the to the street scum, you know. So it, it, it to me. I thought they did a really good job of embodying it. That was my son saying hello to everyone, by the way. Cyberpunk is, when I was in that kind of 11 years old, uh, I kind of like dragons um, role playing. This is all. This is all good. When Cyberpunk came out, it was uh, absolutely mind blowing for me because it was kind of like, wow, this is all about the books that I like. The reason I think Cyberpunk is has been a classic and through all the different iterations um, has been popular is the sort of the character archetypes, the roles in Cyberpunk uh, kind of like definitely cover all of the bases of like the classic Cyberpunk kind of protagonists. You've got Solos, which are basically like Case and Molly from Neuromancer. You've got the Medias, which is like Edison Carter from Max Headroom, 20 Minutes into the Future, right, kind of stuff. You've got Rocker Boys, you know, <laughs> why not? 
um, you've got the techie guys, and then of course you've got the hackers, which are fairly ubiquitous in, in Cyberpunk all over the place. And Cyberpunk was one of those games that, while their home background was fairly generic, um, and it was good, you know, I've stormed Arasaka many, many times myself. Um, there's, there's definitely, I think, the... Um, the work that they did in kind of like covering all the different aspects of Cyberpunk genre was very, very good. As systems go, it's, yeah, you know, Cyberpunk is great, but it um, it definitely seemed to sort of boil down into, I think there's two sort of genres of Cyberpunk. One is that kind of low level down and dirty, do I buy food or ammunition um, kind of thing. The man's on my tail, we've got no resources and we have to get out of here kind of thing. And then it, also there's that kind of glamour, top level, we're dealing with the corporations, we've got an infinite amount of money, we've got loads of cool toys, we've enhanced ourselves, we've got giant transforming robot cars and all that kind of stuff. You're basically just a futuristic James Bond. Some games kind of focus on that level, some play games are better on the lower level. And I think there's a load of games that do the aspects of Cyberpunk very, very well. Slay Industries, for example, is really, really good. There's no cyberpunk there's no cyber in it and um, it's all biological enhancement but the there's a huge corporation that basically controls the universe you have to work for them you basically have to do missions and part of what you're doing is becoming popular and becoming better and famous in in that realm in order to kind of um so you're, you're part of the system whilst you're trying to re, you know um revolution be a revolutionary within it um, and i think that's done very very well in slay industries well i was actually gonna just jump on something at um that I think that we both talked about so far, um, Mark, but, um, you know, we both talked about how certain games have done like, oh, theme really well, setting really well. But I think, and that's another something that uh, we all talked about a bit prior to the call uh, and in preparation for the call was how a lot of these game role-playing games get the role-playing aspects down right. You, you feel like you're, you know, on the street. You feel like you're in this glamorous corporation, whatever. But when it gets down to them having to roll the dice or using mechanics, I don't know, I have the same problem, uh, and John and I think I, uh, we agree on this, uh, is that a lot of these games just are very dense mechanically and they're so concerned with modeling like Shadowrun is very guilty of this like I, I love the setting but I'll, I would never use the actual Shadowrun mechanics to run it I'd use Anarchy or I'd try to just do it with Fate or something like that because for me I just want to in, involve myself in that world in that setting that theme I want a mechanical system that allows me to do that very smoothly and quickly not here's the tome of the mechanics um, so Cyberpunk is 2020 kind of always devolves into go first shoot people in the face yeah and it's, it's like, how do we, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, if, if you are familiar with the genre well enough or you just love those themes, you can do it with any system. But I think the problem that I think turns away a lot of potentially new players to the genre, like Shadowrun, for example, or Cyberpunk, both of them should be like easy sells. But like when you then open the books up and start trying to explain it to the people, it's like, well, do you got three hours of your time to just go through this? <laughs> and uh, then people are just like, I'm out. Like, I, I, you know, I'll go play D&D because I already know it or I'll play Fate because it's very simple. Or do we have any examples that are, because obviously like Shadowrun Anarchy is a good example of this where it was an attempt to create a version of Shadowrun that was accessible. And that's a great example. But like, I don't think there are any actual examples of a full fledged, you know, prime product that is not like that in cyberpunk. So, and you yes, would know is. more. So, you would know more, you guys. So, I, that's why I'm asking the question. Like, I mean, I mean, in terms of in terms of like games, I've got that. I think are sort of cyberpunk RPGs. The only ones I've really got is I've got that. Mm -hmm. 
and I, I've, yeah, ran, I've died. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, and I've randomly got like a copy of like Shadowrun Fourth Edition. Yeah, and, and don't uh, talk about Barbie Punk. And I mean, I, I've yeah. I've only really got. Um, I've also got Interface Zero for Fate. For me, a lot of even lot, Interface gets it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a lot of a lot yeah. of games focus a lot on the kit. Mm-hmm. And the sort of gear that you're going to get, I and mean, even like Interface Zero, which is based on Fate, which is a game that is not focused on kit. Even it's suddenly it, focused on kit. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the the game shifts dramatically in that direction, and it doesn't make it a, necessarily a bad game. It, it shifts the focus dramatically from the, the main focus of the system. Now, for me, the well, obviously technology is a huge part of the Cyberpunk ethos, as we said. But for me, like the main the main interesting thing about the settings isn't the kit. It's like, I don't pick up like a some cyberpunk fiction and immediately start thinking like oh look, look at all this like cool gear they've got and like this equipment yeah. whereas I find a lot of certainly the, the RPGs I've read th- they focus a lot on those kit on the kit and buying equipment's always been one of like the least interesting bits of RPGs for me the part of this is to like relates to the fact that uh, a lot of cyberpunk stuff revolves around these mega corporations, right? And like the fact that they dominate your entire lives with their product lines is a big, big thing, right? It's it's a theme. Like you, you're true. not just using a cyber deck; you're using the fucking Silverlight Excalibur three thousand or whatever. Uh, and like that, that's a thing inside the the setting. Yeah, it's true. I just think that it can be portrayed then in terms of theme, like oh okay, here's a section of the book that talks about these are like the three big corporations and then these are their major products and you will find yourself using one or all of these products in your daily life and you have no choice. And to really talk about how that affects people in that world, I don't know, I don't need to know the, the, the stats on the gun or how well that deck makes me hack because I know that's what it's going to let me do. I mean, that's why we have those things. You know, I'd rather read like a chapter that's all about uh, and the Silverlight deck versus the Hatari deck you know why those why that is an important clash or hey you know you drove that sky car yesterday but really you didn't you don't own it you're only renting it through your you know slave wages or whatever you know it's like stuff like that is the appeal of aspects like that in a in a cyberpunk setting not as a player in a game sitting there and being like 40 pages of gear just to write down my initial character stat line, I'm just like, I mean, get me out of here. Yeah, I think when when Cyberpunk started, we were sort of in that age of uh, slightly more simulationist role-playing games. Um, uh, we also had Cyberpunk, well, it was then 2016, that obviously became 2020 eventually. Um, and- <laughs> Uh, Cyberspace, which was a game by Iron Crown Enterprises, which was like a cut-down Rollmaster, like Merc, but reskinned to Cyberpunk. And if, if you could ever think of a game that wouldn't fit in the Cyberpunk genre, it's Merc. And I think over time, what's happened is, is we've kind of discovered that role-playing, the, cool, the fun part of role-playing isn't necessarily the numbers and adding all the things and going shopping, but it's kind of like the cool things that you can do with your characters and the sort of more narrative um, kind of games that... Uh, happened more recently and I'm a fairly recent convert to this stuff I was a beardy you know I like my dice I like my numbers and I like my books and guns and all that kind of stuff I kind of got um, taken in by Power by the Apocalypse and there's a couple of really really good games now that would be my preferred way of doing I thought that's what you were talking about Johannes the sprawl um, which uh, immediately when I was going to conventions I would always have a couple of the spawn in my bag because you can just run it straight away you can basically just make a session everyone gets a book everyone gets their um, little character sheets you make up the corporations as you go and you can just run a game of Cyberpunk off the cuff and that is absolutely incredible 
because it means you don't have to carry all this stuff. And um, it's a fairly good way of doing it. It's very evocative, and I love the fact that the um, those little uh, come what they're called now the little carriage sheets playbooks. You open up the playbooks, and you basically go pick one of these three things, and they are very very iconic. You know, evocative of the background. The whole game, you you're it's pure cyberpunk, start to finish, and there's absolutely no prep. Awesome. Yeah, and it's well, it's it's like hyper distilled as well the sprawl is i mean it's it's not your like generic this is a cyberpunk game and you pick whatever you want and you do whatever you want no the sprawl is you are people who can't have real jobs ever in in this world you are outside of the system forever unless you want to retire a character because that's not what the game is about the game is about you being on the streets and running missions like shadowrun style and it's really aggressively designed for that it's uh it has phases like you do your legwork before the mission like you you get the mission and then then you do your legwork and uh, then you complete the mission and then you have the the wrap-up where probably whoever hired you is trying to fuck you because that's how it goes but um then, then you do it again don't really like little people who knew yeah tur- turns out they don't they don't care about you yeah <laughs> and also every single positive that you get from the character generation you have to have some kind of story negative attached to it yeah, yeah. i've got to admit the sprawl is probably one of like the few sort of like bigger like for argument's sake, Power of the Apocalypse games that I don't actually have like a hard copy of. So I remember speaking to you about it to, to Games on Demand with to like the UK Games Expert. It is actually like one I want to pick up myself because yeah. I, I I do think for like conventions and stuff like Power of the Apocalypse is almost like made for those sort of like those rapid like one-off sessions. They are great like that because it's like as as Johannes and uh, Mark were saying, they tend all the all their game lines because I'm a big fan of um, Urban Shadows and, and Monster of the Week, uh, which are two books that use uh, that system and. Uh, uh, they're very much like this is what you are this is what you're doing like you'll have like the archetypes or whatever genre it's supposed to be the whole game the way they build them each of these books they always tend to be ground up this is the genre this is the flair this is the flavor and it's all feeding together and that's one of the strengths of Power by Apocalypse which is one reason why I've never actually completed a Power by Apocalypse game because keep trying to do it by payback post and it falls apart because <laughs> it's so it's got to be you got to have people that are like on board like no we are here to play urban shadows we're here to be monsters and maniacs or hey we're playing here to play the sprawl we are all street scum trying to get our last credit to get the ticket out of town you know it's it doesn't lend itself well to i don't know as much with player post maybe but uh, around the table they're very powerful because they're just all driven towards the goal whatever the system is and so i do have the sprawl by the way guys so I haven't read that one yet. I have to. I have to finish reading it. I'll definitely check that one out a little bit more deeply after this call. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's very very cool. There's also um, in a similar space. There's a game called The Veil, another Power by the Apocalypse game that kind of is a little bit more um, stretches cyberpunk to the limits. So if you want to be kind of like a little girl with a giant robot, that kind of stuff, the sort of slightly more sci-fi or anime manga. Oh, see, I, I kind of like that flair, and I think that um, cyberpunk mashed with anime, they do it quite frequently, um, and it works out usually really pretty well, obviously. Mm. I could I could quote Ghost in the Machine. That would be sort of a little bit banal of me, because everyone knows Ghost in the Machine. But just in general, I think that they mash the ideas well together. Um, yeah, I think a lot of cyberpunk comes from that. Um, at that time that cyberpunk was hitting, a lot of stuff came over from Japan. So right. like things like Akira and Ghost yes, in the Machine. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I, I do wonder as well if like part of the reason that there's not so many sort of like full ball like 100% cyberpunk RPGs nowadays for argument's sake is because uh, we see a lot of non sort of cyberpunk RPGs incorporate 
what I consider to be like cyberpunk elements into them now. I mean, certainly most as technology in the real world's moving on, it's becoming part of our everyday life. I think back when cyberpunk, the RPG, like cyberpunk 2020 or whatever was, or cyberpunk 2016 as it was, was released, it was more of a sort of a, an unusual thing to like consider like, oh, that technology might have such a great impact on our everyday lives. Whereas I don't think now we now. see, yeah, we don't see it as so much of a stretch because they like, say like things like going like, oh yeah, you can you you can like use your like deck to like log on to computer systems like from the middle of a street or from the back of a van or whatever. Like I think when sort of Cyberpunk first came out, I was like, oh, that's like that's some like far future like unrealistic like bullshit going on down there. Whereas now, if you're like, oh, like someone like sitting in a coffee shop or sitting in the back of a car logging on with a phone. Yeah, exactly. That, that 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 that's like not even a thing now. That that just is part of everyday life. So I, I wonder if like the the people who are trying to make sort of cyberpunk RPGs, they have to like stretch that even further now because like our definition of what's become like futuristic technology has moved on. Yeah. Can I ask a follow-up question then, John? Because that's certainly what I was thinking of. Pretty much is like why? With I think cyberpunk has one of the most interesting aesthetics Absolutely. of all the kind of genres out there. Like it's a really interesting place to exist in, and I always wonder why isn't it more popular why isn't it more in the current sort of pop culture eye than it used to be what? I was thinking is that is that more so because no one's managed to blend the elements together in a way that's really resonated in, in modern day or is it because cyberpunk like you were saying John is a product of its time and like now it's that now the technology looks more like a retro futuristic rather than actual futuristic when it was made well I think I think part of the thing now is you do see a lot of sort of cyberpunk elements in RPGs but it's not necessarily RPGs that are fully based around idea i mean to, to go back to what we we're saying about sort of like bionic implants and stuff like that you'll be unlikely to find any sort of sci-fi rpg that doesn't have sort of cybernetic implants of some degree in them whether it's like space opera harder sci-fi whatever but th these games don't really have that whole sort of cyberpunk ethos you know the 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 big corporations the restrictions on personal liberty stuff like that that you tend to see in the, the sort of like darker sort of cyberpunk setting if you will yeah and i think um i think a lot of cyberpunk was kind of well, didn't quite hit in a, in a huge way necessarily as far as you know obviously we have our favorite films and stuff like that but they didn't quite go you know Blade Runner was absolutely tanked when it first came out, that kind of thing. But I think that aesthetic had got co-opted quite a lot for various other little kind of projects. You look at, there's some films, um, things like video games, that cyberpunk aesthetic got stolen for things like, like Deus Ex, for example, that's been having, going for years. Um, it's a great example of the genre. You have a character that you upgrade all the time with your, you know, cybernetic limbs and eyes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it, yeah, it never really kind of, there isn't really a sort of de definitive high-budget revolutionary film. Blade Runner was a sleeper hit for a long time. We finally got a sequel, which is incredible. Um, but even Blade it. Runner is really cyber. No. It's yeah. yeah, but Blade, Blade Runner is in the like if you had a spectrum of like yeah. all things that people have called cyberpunk throughout the ages, uh, like Blade Runner is firmly in in my opinion at least it's a, it's a noir film with some sci-fi on top. Like it's it's on the edge of that Venn diagram I spoke about yeah. earlier. But yeah. it's, it's a noir film set in the future. Yeah. yeah, the visual aesthetic for that dark future is perfect, and I think what happens is 
like now, like you were saying earlier, it's kind of like we've the technology has advanced, but cyberpunk games maybe haven't necessarily. I remember the, the first cyberpunk. It's kind of like, oh, you have a cyber deck that has ten megabytes of memory. Yeah, yeah. And back then, I mean, that was that, that was ridiculous. Um, while the idea of cyberpunk is quite elastic, because obviously it's it's a a certain sort of world with ubiquitous computer technology that could be any of a number of a hundred different ideas uh, or settings, right? But are are we of perhaps of the mind now though that as we have caught up technologically with the eras that cyberpunk were written for or in uh, or about like because obviously we were forward looking now when we forward look we're looking at you know rocket punk we're looking at transhumanism we're looking at um these other genres that have sort of kind of re-emerged or re-evolved and now they're the ones that are forward looking so is it is it a sense that the cyberpunk as it was written has been supplanted by these other genres or these other ideas coming in for now more or is it just simply that maybe we need to see a new evolution of cyberpunk like so what's the next epoch of computer technology going to look like quantum computing all those other sorts of things like stuff that we're theorizing about today or thinking about today you know are the writers of today going to be writing about that are they going to simply be writing about all of us living in singularity you know on a rocket ship flying tumbling through space you know because that's where it is now like that's what's in vogue right now in terms of sci-fi i mean just to jump in there i see we've got lloyd in the twitch chat and he's saying that um, the the change in like just in the hacking world from third edition shadow run to like fourth edition was incredible and it went from all like your wired decks we had to like plug them in to like access a network into like yes. cloud computing and he's that's say- exactly what i'm hitting on yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he's saying as well like um he's mentioned that as we have done that uh, it needs to keep evolving if it's going to be an extant genre Genre and not be subsumed by these other newer genres or these genres that have come to the fore now because otherwise it's just going to seem very old-fashioned. Like, like if you go back and watch the original Star Trek, hell, if you even go back and even watch Next Gen, it seems a little bit dated with the technology because we have all that stuff and some of that stuff and better now, you know? We like, have iPads now. That's it. Exactly it, you know? Their touchpads and, st- and Next Gen look like shit compared to ours, you know? Yeah, yeah. L- Lloyd, has, um, Lloyd has recommended a fate game called Uprising for a game that's... Uh, he says it, it sums up what he thinks new like one, yeah. new, new cyberpunk is. Now, I can't claim to know anything about Rising, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Lloyd described it as exemplarizing that whole like you versus the man sort of like philosophy. Right. Yeah, I, I think like generally, well, the traditional cyberpunk suffers from the same deal as I said in chat, uh, as does Vampire. Like it was, it was a product of his time. I feel, and I think it's very challenging to make new cyberpunk games that like push the the genre forward in a world where Eclipse Phase exists. Like That's exactly what I'm saying. Like you, you there, there is. You're miles behind already when you start. <laughs> but, but I would argue though that Eclipse Phase is very is is a is not cyberpunk. It's so it's more transhumanistic yeah. bio. Yeah, entirely. And so they feel. I mean, obviously they have similar you know things. You got corporations and governments mm-hmm. and all that thing. But you could say that about any piece of fiction that oh they're gonna have similarities, right? Mm-hmm. For me, when I look at Eclipse Phase and I read or I read like Altered Carbon. Or, versus uh, Neuromancer, for example. Uh Well, I see the similarities. I see the pedigrees, where they all arrive from, but I can see the massive differences that narratively speaking, creatively speaking, the choices that the writers had to make to make it feel like two distinct animals. So I totally agree with what you're saying there, Johannes. That's what I'm saying. It's like, Uh in a world where Eclipse Phase exists, how do you compete? You can, but it's by looking at what you got in the pedigree of a cyberpunk and then really well yeah exactly like what the spoil that you keep 
pumping. Thank you very much. But it's like, <laughs> no, how do you put, you got to push it forward along its trajectory and then take it to that next level. And, and it can be done, but it hasn't been done. I mean, obviously you saying the scroll has done it. Well, I, I mean, got to go read this scroll tonight is what I'm going to do. In, t in terms of like imagining what future technology is going to be like, we only have to like look at how difficult that it is to make any sort of accurate predictions about that i mean if you look at like the old sort of like jules verne stuff where they're talking about sort of like rocket ships going to the moon and stuff like that all of that seems like ridiculous now but at the time based on the technology they had that must have at least seemed somewhat plausible albeit futuristic whereas we know that often like technology although it fills a particular niche it goes in ways that we wouldn't expect or we wouldn't predict so i think it is it would be difficult to make like a new game i mean wit for instance just like for argument's sake if you were going to be like making like a new sort of like cyberpunk. It just happens to be writing and developing a cyberpunk yeah. uh, roleplay game. Yeah, hi hi hypothetically, if you were doing that, I mean, how, how would you sort of like go about? How would you yeah. sort of try and predict the future? Yeah, it is. It is a challenge, um, and I don't think it's necessarily about predicting the future. I think um, the way that uh, new creative endeavours uh, happen is everything is a remix of what's come before. Um, part of why I um, started putting uh, my game Black Code, remember that? Um, I looked for it. Uh, thanks. It's not out yet. Oh, Backed. Already. <laughs> well, I, I put that um, uh, together was because I was a little bit dis dissatisfied with what Cyberpunk, you know, I couldn't, I, I got fed up of running CP2020. I couldn't run another game using that system and I needed something that would enable people. I think empowering characters is very, very important in a role-playing game. And if you've got certain archetypes in Cyberpunk, now over the last sort of 20 years or so since, you know, Neuromancer all the way up to what we have now, like, you know, the Ghost in the Shell film and Altered Carbon. There's such a huge variety of different characters and enhancements and the kind of thing that people will look at and, and say, well, if it's cyberpunk, you need to be able to do this. You need to have this. You need to have X. You need to have this kind of character. So writing a game that means that characters are empowered and they can kind of be whichever cyberpunk archetypes that they like, I think is very important. It kind of works. Things like The Sprawl and Power by the Apocalypse works because, um, and even Fate to some extent, because you have that aspect you can make that whatever you like. And if you can have something that you can skin the game mechanic part of it to what you want to describe and how it works, that means that characters can be, you know, players can make whatever characters they like and they can kind of, you know, if they want a cool jacket that gives them a plus one, they've got a cool jacket that gives them a plus one, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's, a, it's an interesting point you're making about the potential, like, expandability and, like, the sort of broadness of a setting. So, I mean, one of the things that's always appealed to me as a GM for, like, potentially more traditional RPGs that you did is the fact that you've got that game system then you can create your own world your own campaign world that you 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 explore with that game system whereas certainly more traditional so arguably traditional so they're all very much sort of like in a, a sort of for argument's like a grimy version of the real world which t to me doesn't seem to have apart from the, the technology and how that's affected things doesn't seem to have as much versatility for me as a GM. It's like, a, it, to, to use vampire as that Johannes was talking about, if you're running vampire, it's by and large our world. There's differences, but it's our world. Whereas 
if I sit down and go right, I want to create a, want to create a world for like a fantasy game. I, I can do pretty much whatever I want. Whereas if I sit down to play like a vampire or like a, a sort of Shadowrun game, I'm like right, it, it's the real world, and that sort of limits your choices a little bit as a GM, which I think for me is why I tend to prefer sort of a, a bit more traditional sort of sci-fi or the space opera stuff because it lets you get out there and sort of you can set it on an alien world, you can set it in like a different place where everything's different to our world as it. But is. at least with something like Shadowrun, uh, um, or also um, not in the same genre, but um, uh, or something like Numenera, where it's set in our world, but both of those settings, like Shadowrun, for example, it, yeah, sure, you might have a place that might still be called New York City, vaguely might vaguely resemble New York City in some ways. It ain't New York City, though. It ain't, you know, there's no orcs walking down the streets in New York, I can tell you for a fact. So it, it's interesting because I think that Shadowrun is actually a good example of, of how you can liberate an our world setting versus, say, something like Vampire. Because Vampire, unfortunately, as much as I love Vampire the Masquerade as a setting, um, because it is dealing with subversive history and things in, walking in the shadows, and I love that as a theme, but it is sort of like you can't necessarily have a vampire god break out and, and start destroying half the subcontinent of India and make it make sense because at the end of the day it still has to be in our world quote unquote so like when you don't embrace the alternate world concept enough it like you said john it comes very staid and i think that's a killer for um for a genre like cyberpunk where if it feels too much like our world or our world 20 years from now suddenly it's like okay but what's the flavor what's the thing that i can really like latch onto as being different you know yeah i mean to, to put you on the spot a bit again with in terms of your game like black code which i've heard you talk about um what is the how would you give us like the the capsule sort of like description of the setting of black code um okay uh, <laughs> so um what one of the things that i wanted to do because when i make games is i needed to make sure they had like a very very deep world um so it's kind of like um there's been a global tragedy a global apocalypse and it's set in the last city it's a very very big city but it's the last city um called darwin um after the the nanite apocalypse after the greater apocalypse basically and um, and all the characters play what are called contractors that are effectively hired professionals that have to make their way dealing with um, the various different uh, corporations or corplexes as they're called in black code within the city there are three arcology corplexes which are kind of like transhuman societies that have their own self-contained areas in which case they uh, which they have kind of control over so there's the grid which is basically just like your traditional cyberpunk it's a giant sort of megaplex of a city with many many levels um, and they basically still uh, cling to the great god consumerism um, which is in itself a, a cyberpunk trope um, and most of the people there are hybrids which means they basically are humans that have uh, mechanical enhancements and Cyborgs. also biological enhancements in order to kind of make themselves good so if you wanted to just play your traditional cyberpunk in black code just set all your adventures in the grid uh, there's also uh, the temple which is a transhuman society that believes that technology is holy and the way that humanity can advance is to up uh, upload themselves into a mechanical frame and basically become robots and eventually earn their way into eden which is their virtual heaven um, and people believe in Eden because they show videos of what it's like inside and you can kind of earn your way in there um, and then there's also the hive which is your biopunk society um, that believe that you can you know av av uh, humanity can evolve itself in order to kind of ascend and go to the stars and stuff so in black code you're um, uh, you basically go around the city um, and you can do the, the low level kind of stuff just in the main city of Darwin or you can do your cyberpunk stuff in 
um, the grid, or you can, if you wanted to be all kind of like, let's all be robots and what's the, uh, what decisions do we have to make about AI and sentience and that kind of stuff in the temple? Or if you want to be kind of weird insect people, you can go and uh, hang out in the hive. So I'm trying to kind of future-proof it uh, slightly. So any any favourite genre that people like doing, you can kind of just go, oh, okay, well, we can set it in one of these these different sort of sub-genres uh, within the game in order to uh, kind of have some fun. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, think that's, I think that sounds really cool. Because, I mean, like I say, part of the issue for me is, always been that uh, a lot of the the sort of cyber games not not cyber games like a lot of sort of niche for want of a better term sort of uh, sci-fi games they do have quite a narrow focus where the game works within that focus but the minute you want to sort of step outside that a little bit or explore something different the game doesn't really have you covered uh, yeah but i think i think cyberpunk is is future proof to some extent because it isn't um, those tropes that make make it so we we kind of know it and love it so well aren't necessarily everyone has to have a cyber arm there has to be a global power or multiple global powers that are kind of like in oppressing you know humanity somewhere there has to be someone that has more control than the than the people involved the protagonists if you will and um, there has to be a element of changing yourself and to improve yourself i think that's definitely uh, part of the genre um, and also there has to be something that's going wrong yeah it has to be a the corporations have too much control we haven't got enough food there's a global problem um either it's the climate which obviously is now in our focus a little more important you know there's there's some really good i think actually hamish's new game is uh, or fraser's new game is kind of like a, a climate punk um, oh yeah yeah i forget the name but i uh, i backed that one uh, it looked look fairly cool because it's 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 a slight shift but it's a very interesting shift and i think that's like i say it's like the evolving the cyberpunk genre back in the 80s it was wall street that was the problem mm-hmm. you know corporations were having too much control governments were kind of falling to pieces whereas now it turns out the world's being destroyed who knew yeah. uh, and now we have to go and fix that and i think something going wrong a big global thing controlling it and you guys being the revolutionaries that are using your skills and your enhancements or whatever to try and fight against that. Any 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 se- section of history can have something that's like that that could be considered cyberpunk. You see, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about how, um, because obviously the genre has been defined currently by its progenitors. So, you know, starting with the Neuromancer and then onward, right? So when we associate cyberpunk, we associate it with certain ideas, but the basic core of, of a cyberpunk story is absolutely future proofable. You could keep writing cyberpunk in a thousand years from now, you could be writing a cyberpunk story because all you gotta do is have the technology aspect, which can be ever evolving. But more than that, you have to have the mood uh, and the theme. And if you have that the, the, that sort of darker, edgier mood and everything is sort of cut on that razor's edge and you know maybe maybe civilization isn't as good as it could be, maybe it's fallen completely. You know, uh, Maybe you're on a space arc flying to another star system and the ship's falling down around your ears, but you keep plugging anyway, because that's what you got, you know. Uh, as long as it has that, as you're saying, Mark, it can be future proofable. And like you, what you're doing with your game, Mark, it's not exactly what I was sort of touching on before, which was we need people to be taking the genre in, in terms of RPGs, tabletop games, and saying, right, this has been done. It's been great. We have plenty of games like that already. What can we do with the genre to say to somebody who's coming into it, who's been playing it for like you, 20 years or whatever, and say, hey, I got something that's going to refresh your love of the genre. And I think that's super important. That is not getting done by big enough companies by, by, by or by good enough people um, or getting done at all right now, I mean, I think is, is what it comes down to. Or, or 
like you, Mark, is in development. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, I agree. I think I think cyberpunk isn't necessarily the dark future of the 1980s. Cyberpunk is the dark should be it should be now the dark future of, of kind of 2080s millennial you know, age, and then yeah. you know, in 10 years' time we'll be having this conversation, and you'll be talking about how old and boring Black Code was, and then there's another game that's coming out. <laughs> Thing. Yeah. But that's good. That's what our industry is all about, and I think that's um, that's a very good thing. There's always classics that kind of do the rounds, or perennials like Cthulhu, and I think Cyberpunk will become like one of those. Um, eventually, there'll be a game that just every ten years or so there'll be a new edition, and they'll kind of reflect it. There is a new Cyberpunk uh, official Artosorian Cyberpunk um, game coming out at the end of the year called Cyberpunk Red, um, which is because obviously now they have the video game licensing stuff happening and. Um, uh, Uncle Mike, bless him, still has the uh, 2020 to 2054, I think. He can still have that for games. And Cyberpunk Red is going to be that, you know, exploring that, which is cool because it means that he can do an update. He doesn't have to go through all the jokes of having giant cell phones and things like that anymore. But um, I think these things also need to evolve systems. And I think, bless him, they're still using the old Fusion system. So I'm sort of like, yeah, this is great, but I'll probably just use all the background stuff and run it in my own thing. That's or... it. I mean, that's kind of like what I was saying earlier about Shadowrun. I absolutely adore the Shadowrun setting. Love it to pieces, but I will not run Shadowrun with its basic system because it's just, it's, you know, too much for me. It's just not the kind of way I want to emphasize that setting and that theme. Whereas I could use something like, again, um, Shadowrun Anarchy is is pretty good. I could also just say screw it and use Fate and, and not have to bother with it. But I, I, I don't like to do too much legwork. I just want to focus on the game and the story. But um, point being is that we need systems that make it mechanically speaking accessible yeah. to people nowadays who, as we've said, we've come a long way from being pure simulationist. And obviously, you know, we can have a mix of it. You know, you can have, you have Cyberpunk and Shadowrun exist, but at the same time, we need something like that that exists on the other side of it too. It says, okay, yeah, you like that, but you don't want to play with those mechanics. How's this one? And I don't think we still have enough of that in uh, in a lot of the genres really across the spectrum. But I mean, Cyberpunk's the one we're talking about, so we'll stick with that one, you know? <laughs> I mean, to, to go... Sorry, to go back to what we were saying um, about sort of the mood of cyberpunk, is that is that possibly one of the reasons why it's difficult to run a good cyberpunk game because it's difficult to capture that mood because there's there's elements of like we said like noir and um, dystopia and various other things that all go together to make that sort of that archetypal cyberpunk feel. However. It, is part of the reason why it's difficult to run like a good cyberpunk game that it's it's very difficult to capture a particular mood with consistency in a, in an RPG, and particularly if you don't have a, a system that really like, reinforces that. I mean, I think um, I think for me the most challenging thing that I do as a GM and I primarily GM um, is if I have in my head, I never start with oh I want have a particular story in my mind because that's bollocks obviously you want to make sure that it's the, the story is emerging from the players uh, as much as it's emerging from what you've created in terms of the setting. But for me, I always want to sit there and be like, okay, what am I trying to evoke? You know, what mood, what theme, what, what, what am I trying to get people to feel? Or what, 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 am I speaking as a GM? How am I trying to create a feeling? And it's the most challenging aspect of being a GM for any genre, but particularly a complex genre like cyberpunk where it has so many different elements to it, so many different moods that you need to be going through from moment to moment. I mean, I was reading, like I said, I read Neuromancer in preparation for this call, and um, 
in a single page sometimes in Neuromancer, you go through like three or four different moods uh, and touching on several different themes that are happening within the setting. And it's, it's, you have to be paying attention to see it. But then when you see it, it's like, wow, okay, yeah, like a lot of stuff just got packed into that one page. How do you, as a GM, then convey that? And it's very, it's very challenging. And, and I don't have a great answer to that question. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's just like, I try to just, it's a feeling. I feel off of it more than I have a, a method. But maybe Mark or uh, Johannes have a method that uh, they use for their experience well, well i was gonna say let, let's let's try a bit of experiment then since you're like the cyberpunk daddy we'll start with you um if you if you were gonna if you're gonna run a let, let's say this obviously hypothetical if you were sat down with like the four of us and you were like doing like the elevator pitch for like a, a cyberpunk campaign let's say what what would your elevator pitch be how would you try and get across the sort of game that you're trying to run to people i think there's definitely elements in a cyberpunk campaign that you need to get across uh, like you say it's i don't necessarily think the system evokes mood but the background should evoke the mood and when you're running a cyberpunk game there's a couple of things that you definitely need to use um one of them is at some point players need to make a decision between taking the money and making the world a little bit better. then it's not the corporations it's them <laughs> and that is something i think because they are the revolutionary people that are going around and, and kind of provoking change and that's it they're fighting for a slightly lighter future or at least trying to or at least making it better maybe for selfish reasons um corporation as a bad guy is um is great for a role-playing game because you know there's no magic you don't need undead you've got people that are just taking people's livelihoods or making things a little bit worse for people or you know doing horrible experiments on them or, or doing whatever in order to make a, a product viable, that kind of thing. And I think putting players in situations where it's their kind of moral compass that's the the guiding force about whether they you know do it. Because a lot of games, a lot of these cyberpunk games will have the same thing. You get paid to go and do stuff. Most of the time, you're getting paid by one corporation to stick it to another corporation. But that isn't making the world better. You're not going out and fighting monsters and getting the gold like in D and D. There's always that little kind of oh, should we have done that? Um, and I always that's what always happens in my cyberpunk campaigns. At some point the players have to make that decision whether they kind of you know do the job or or should we should we wipe the hard drive and see what happens kind of thing um not an elevator pitch but i think those are important elements for a cyberpunk game the moral mm -hmm. ambiguity of the protagonists is um one of one of those venn diagram points i think we're kind of getting back onto that kind of noir detective yeah you know i love it two slugs in me and one of them's a bullet yeah <laughs> that's it man. <laughs> okay so um matthew if you were going to start running a cyberpunk game of, of whatever system we're not talking about specific systems what elements do you think you would want to focus on to try and sort of get that cyberpunk sort of mood and idea across obviously you've got to have the noir vibe that we've been talking about but i feel like there has to be a unifying sense of rebellion that the player characters are trying to rebel against the constraints of the setting so that can be the technology using the technology as a way of bypassing that or politically that they don't agree with the kind of treatment of the corporations that's what brings them together the unifying force. You also, you'd also want to focus heavily on the relationship of technology between the player characters and the corporations. They're both using these tools to both constrict and sort of free themselves from the kind of like kind of constantly big brother eyes of a cyberpunk thing. I can see that in the, the chat, Lloyd has mentioned um, Cyberpunk 2077 and he's saying uh, the, the way he describes it as like playing detectives 
in the sort of like the Blade Runner style of background, which I, I think does appeal to me because as as yeah. we've all said that for, for me that noir sort of like detective that investigative sort of style it is a big part of it for me and i think that's certainly one of the elements i'd choose to focus on you know i mean as Whit was saying often in these games you're hired by corporation yeah. x to do some espionage or steal something from corporation y and there's the whole investigative sort of like heist style scenarios that lead up to that and i certainly think if i was going to be running a cyberpunk game i'd probably focus it around that sort of idea you know the investigative sort of style and i, and I do think there's quite a big market i mean we've seen like the dresden files games i mean even things like call of cthulhu like going back has like a big sort of investigative like vibe to it because, and I think part of that's because, as players, it's very satisfying to like unravel like part of the mysteries that are going on in a setting or work out what's going on. But I also think, as a GM, it can be quite difficult to pull off because, like, if we if we're talking about like mega corporations, like in a typical cyberpunk setting, the the investigative sort of vibe of that only really works if someone has like put in the legwork to design those corporations and have that background there because if it's just like me like billy bullshitting some stuff and making it all up on the fly and you're like oh well we're going to investigate like this mega corporation and you can and you can always tell when that people are just entirely making stuff up off the top of their heads it's not really going to be satisfying as as an investigation if you're like all right we're going to trail this guy back to his like his pad and see what he's doing and i'm like um oh yeah he's uh, he's doing this and it's obvious i'm just making it up on the spot because it doesn't sort of link into like a larger sort of overall story so i think that could be quite challenging if you're a gm to actually like do that and there's quite a lot of legwork and potentially prep sort of involved in that uh, yeah the, the way they kind of sold that in the sprawl is a lot of the content is along the narrative is player generated so as they're kind of making up their characters, there's a kind of, okay, which corporation did you, did Scrooge over for this? Or, or, you know, a lot of these stories are kind of self-propelling. And a lot of, I, I tend to run in the past, my subpunk campaigns were very long-winded sort of five-year sandbox type things where the players uh, kind of generate a lot of the content because they, you know, there's an NPC that suddenly, okay, we hate that guy. How do we, how do we mess up his corporation kind of stuff? And I think, um, uh, like uh, as uh, Matthew said, the revolutionary aspect is very, very important. You are someone for whatever reason, whether it's for money or for because something bad happened to you for vengeance or for getting your family back or whatever. There has to be some reason for you to want to stick it to the man. I mean, um, I, I, I do think that that's absolutely right. That sort of rebellious aspect is very important, and I, I wonder if that that's another aspect of cyberpunk that's been sort of incorporate into a lot of different games i mean certainly the the whole sort of like something punk adage is now like everywhere you i have a lot to say on this well not not a lot but like i mean that's some bullshit that's it you you, you've got your steampunk you've got your biopunk you've got your whatever punk but uh, yeah yeah, exactly see I, i still remember like when i first encountered cyberpunk that wasn't such a thing so, so I, I, when I first sort of became aware of cyberpunk, that was the only like punk game I was aware of. Whereas that sort of whole rebellion sort of aspect has been incorporated into a lot of sort of different games now. But I, I see Johannes is like champing at the bit to like ra- rally against the uh, the tide of like punk games. So go go for it, man. Yeah, it's uh, 
this this is mostly a thing with I think certain computer games, right? I like like several people here have said uh, I think it's very important that if we're calling it cyberpunk, it has to be about people who are sort of on the outside looking in and trying to make a difference either in their own lives, just like barely surviving, or then like generally like wait a minute, like we, we could actually like stick it to the man, like like Mark said, and uh, well I do enjoy immensely the the deus ex computer games but you're you're playing a cop that's not (laughs) that's not cyberpunk you are the man in those games you are the dude who busts in and shoots people and asks questions later if ever computer games do an absolutely fantastic job of taking all the aesthetic of of the cyberpunk world and like dropping you in to the role of the oppressor Yeah, it's like, you, fine. you basically play an end boss of a normal cyberpunk game. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's um just to chime in on this uh, question, uh, the initial prompt. Uh, the uh, for me, the most interesting thing that um I get out of running uh, or trying to play in a cyberpunk or, or reading or watching it is, um obviously I agree with everyone what they said before. You know, stick it to the man, do something you know big bold. Uh, go out and blaze and blaze. But I feel like for me, the more interesting stories are the the smaller ones. So it's, you know, you have your street corner and, you know, you have your bar that you go to where you meet your Mr. Johnson to use the parlance from Chatteron. And, you know, he's got a job for you at the a sort of shitty corporation at the end of, at the end of the road. And it's, you know, you're, you're just eking it out. And, and maybe you have, you know, a bone to pick with somebody on your block or someone at the top of the ivory tower, or maybe you were just trying to get out of the city, you know? So I, I really like the, when you ev- when you can evoke, and this is all driven from the characters, like Mark, you were saying how you're, you know, really it's emergent when you pull, when you do your campaigns. That's how it should be because it should be about, hey, if they want to go stick it to the man, the man is always going to be there. But at the end of the day, the man is not necessarily taking the food from their mouth. It's their circumstance. So I really like the the antagonist of a, of a cyberpunk game, but it's also applied to any punk game. So Vampire the Masquerade, for example, the gothic punk. It's not really the, the, the Camarilla in that that's really your opponent or 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 the the, the 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 elders but it's really the circumstances that you find yourself in you are struggling against the circumstances and those those are just artifacts of your circumstance that are either helping you or hindering you or are or, or neutral to you um, and I really find that to be the most interesting thing because the settings are so rich you're in this place and you if you're doing it right it feels very thick and so really as a player you really want to be like okay yeah like how am I going to get myself out of this and, and that I think is the huge, huge strength of something like that. That's, that's true, but aren't, aren't those situations that they're running against caused by the man? In the oh, end? well, yeah, but they, they, they could be, but the man could be uh, any number of different things, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but I, I think that for me, it's not the rebellion against the man that's the interesting part for me. Like, it's the, how does the rebellion get me out of my circumstance or change my circumstance? Or yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree circumstance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're not going to walk in and, you know, stop our second. Because the man's always going to be there. It's going to be a different man, though. You know what I mean? So, and that—that's also another thing that adds to the setting is that it's, it never ends. It's—it's it's always somebody else. You know. So, what you, from what you're saying, John, would you say that rather than cyberpunk needing a, an excellent villain in the story or the the sort of game, the the actual villain of cyberpunk is the setting itself. Like it's a great yes. villain yes. that comes packaged and ready to go. 
That's it. That should be tough. That's totally it. I mean, because again, uh, you know, Mark's totally right when he says it's the man, but the man is everything. The man is everywhere. The man is ubiquitous. And that's a part of the setting is it, big, bold letters. It should be the man as next to the setting themes. It's the man, you know, and, uh, and it's everywhere and it's, and it's everything. And uh, I, I really like that because it, it well, it's empowering and, and, and also makes you feel powerless at the same time. So it always gives you as a character, as a player character, something to rail against and something to exalt. So you, you can exalt in your victory only to realize that you're powerless to actually change your fate. And that, I think, is just so powerful for storytelling. Yeah, yeah. I think those minor victories also, yeah, all, all those little minor victories against such a dark background are more important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's something I've often sort of heard in like... Uh, games like Call of Cthulhu and stuff like that where you know that like, sort of like the, the great old ones you're never going to like finally defeat them but because of the fact you know you're not going to be able to do that in the same way you know you're never going to topple all of these mega corporations it, it is sort of liberating in a way because as you were saying John you can sort of you can achieve these small victories against them and it almost frees you from like you d you know you don't have to sort of like take down like the big end of level boss or whatever it is but because you know you can't do that even sort of like throwing a spanner in the works of their plans or like freeing yourself from whatever like yoke they've placed on you gains more more you get more triumph from it in, in a way because of that yeah we caused the minor product recall yeah and that's uh, that's, yeah. that's one of the things that actually like oh, really appeals to me in cyberpunk like i i wholeheartedly embrace the fact that you can't do shit <laughs> you're, you're you're nothing really uh, and the the end goal is like well like we we sir, sir we, we lost um, five million dollars in uh the research budget and it's like well find me a new lab <laughs> somewhere but do you know what i find so interesting about that in is in a way taking mechanics out of it in terms of a narrative approach cyberpunk is almost one of the most simulationist experiences you can achieve because in life let's face it we are all just a single you know little cog in a machine and and the world can be quite bleak sometimes but it's it's we live for you know the next paycheck we live for that hey we're having beers with our bros on the weekend you know or or hey i did something to help that one person at my job today boom you know and you amplify that in cyberpunk to a, a, a level where it's like you are a heroic powerful being in our world but in that world you're just like us but you're just in a different set of stakes. And I just think that that's juxtapositioning things so amazingly so that if you want to play a simulation as game, just strip out the mechanics, just focus on the narrative. A cyberpunk game is a great simulation of life. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the most depressing thing I've ever heard. Uh, no, I was going to say, that, that that is an interesting point. Though. I mean, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> has, has cyberpunk been affected by the fact that ostensibly, as you sort of like look at the day-to-day -day world, the fact that in some respects, not all respects obviously, but in some respects like the normal day-to-day -day world has become darker. And it could be the case yes. of like you say, well, yeah. it, it, even if it's not necessarily become darker, we've due to like global media etc we yeah, well, we're, we're more aware of it now. So yeah. maybe like when you are when people were more like isolated in the past before sort of global media, uh, in order for an event to have sort of like penetrate like the mass consciousness, it had to be of a much greater magnitude. Whereas if something like sensibly like traumatic or like on the darker side happens now, because we've got like the internet, we've got global communications, everyone becomes aware of it. So we're more conscious of the fact that like 
there's some bad shit going down yeah. in like the real world. So is it a case that obviously we're not in a sort of cyberpunk future, but is it a case that like as the world is maybe all right, not not completely, we're not completely, <laughs> but is it a case that like as the world has like moved more towards that, it's become more difficult to get the same sort of reaction from people to something like a cyberpunk RPG because we're maybe a bit more jaded when like, people go, like, oh, there's, there's these big corporations controlling everyone. Everyone's like, oh, really? No shit. Yeah, I think actually in, in some way for me, and I've noticed this in my lifetime, you know, so I'm turning 34 at the end of the month. And um, in my in my lifetime, I've noticed this, especially once we got out of the 90s uh, and once the, 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 the gravy chain became to an end in the early O's and then the mid O's during the crash, um, you, you see, thank you, John, <laughs> you see um, how our media has changed because in the 90s, you had some maybe angsty stuff and maybe you had some, 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 some stuff like that, but you never, you didn't have a, the, the level of dark stuff that you see nowadays. And the darkness is just sort of a banal covering now on all our, like, it's just, oh, things suck. Yeah, you can't really do anything about it. We're just going to get on, on with it. And I think in some ways, I think something like cyberpunk is even more important in, a, in the face of that banal darkness, because in cyberpunk yeah you realize that you you you're shit the world is shit but you're, you're still fighting for that one day that the world is not shit it's like um if anyone's ever seen the the crystal excellent season of doctor who it's that one episode where everybody lives for that one moment that he lives his like that's the, like his life is like that he lives for that one moment where he can say something like that and i think cyberpunk as a genre and this is just my interpretation of it, of course. I mean, Mark, you can jump in. Johannes, you can jump in and, and shoot me down if you like. But I think for right now, I think it's very important to have a genre like cyberpunk showing us that, yeah, you can rally against, you can rage against the system all you like. You might not overthrow the system, but that's not the point. It's the raging that is the point. I agree with everything you said. I'm not going to shoot you down at all. I think yeah. what's happening yeah, is we're kind of uh, teenagers, especially are realizing that technology has given them the tools that they can use to fight against the man or corporations and things like that. The Twitter and YouTube and all these kind of things. And now people don't learn about role-playing games from going to a shop with beardy men anymore. They learn yeah. from YouTube. Yeah. Um, people now don't go to a rally necessarily, but they go to a YouTube page. They can support each other and they can kind of um, make these little social groups of people that don't want to, you know, don't like this or want to kind of rail against that or can politicize, you know, there's a certain political thing that they don't, I don't want to turn this into a whole political kind of thing, but if it's something... But you're totally right, yeah. And I mean, maybe that's part of the hidden cost. I mean, in this sort of like, this technologically aspected future that we're moving towards, what are us old beardy men going to do? How are we going to redefine ourselves in a world where we we're not passing on our ancient role-play wisdom to people and pe people are just like doing their own thing. Maybe that's well, the that's true cost. That's why we have Twitter and YouTube pages and blogs and that's why every one of us is like out there trying to yell at the in the great stream of the internet just just because we, we, think, we think we have something of value to add and, and maybe somebody listens, you know, and that's at the end of the day, again, it goes back to the theme of the cyberpunk. It's like you might only get one person to listen to what you said that day but they might have really took what you wrote or, or, or said in your video to heart, and that could help that person, you know, ascend to the next level of the hobby. And it's and it's like that with everything, you know. You you made that sound like we're some fucking e force on a mountain oh! <laughs> with our ancient wisdom. <laughs> But in 10 years' time, there'll be people talking about how that was the worst thing that ever happened. 
Um, and that's that's why Cyberpunk reinvents it. Well, there's a line from Cyber Generation that's my parents were cyberpunks and all they gave me was this lousy future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, that's that's yeah. Also, I think like one of the things to mention about Cyberpunk, I think you can't really make it without being very political about stuff, which is also probably not that appealing to like a certain demographic. Or at least subversive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I think, and as we as we said before, so anything that's taking place ostensibly in the real world, albeit in cyberpunk, it's like a future version of the world. Whatever side of like the political divide you fall upon, but there's no denying that politics is like a huge part of the modern world. It's been part of the world for like ages. It will be into the future. So I don't think you can avoid bringing that in. But I do think that's that's right. What you said, Johannes, that to some people that's maybe not particularly appealing. You know, some people maybe want to get away from that when they get into role playing. So a, a question for you guys is like, given the fact that we know to a certain extent politics are going to become involved in a game like Cyberpunk, how do you make that appealing and well? exciting for people to actually like engage with in a game you don't go all preachy about it and i think you present the world as it sort of is quote unquote so let's take the um we're talking about about this uh new game that's coming out before uh hack the planet which is the like climate fiction like the world is really fucked up and you're one of the crews that are doing stuff to try and maybe save it or make it better, that sort of thing. Like the, there's there's stuff in the background there that you don't need to like shove into people's faces. For example, like why is the world broken? Question mark. <laughs> why are we in this shit? You don't need to like rub that in to their faces. Uh, but like you, well, uh, for that game especially, like it's it's the whole fucking premise of the game. Like so, someone broke the globe, and yeah. uh, we're not gonna or, name names. We're not gonna say who done it. Yeah, we, 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 we've got Lloyd in the chat as well, going like, oh, again with this like, whole the real world's like too dark and tragic, guys. It's like, give it a rest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I personally love politics. Um, Me too. Both, um, in in real life, in studying history, and if you study history for any like level, um, you just see that how how politics have always shaped people's lives, daily or otherwise. Um, and and so I think I think the key to it though is to make the politics not a grand sweeping ideological thing. Not like, oh, we're at the conference this week and we're reading the, the mission statement for our party this year. But it's like, how did this policy that came down last week affect all the augmented people in my community? How did uh, that corporation getting that tax break suddenly affect the economy of this entire area? Stuff like that. I think that's the key, is to not make it something about ideology, but make it about effect. Yeah, I, th I think that's a very good point. Build... I think, as well as, the, as being the narrator, you should just like the setting, be morally ambiguous, so you yes. sure don't tell, and you don't really say yes. if this is right or wrong, you just describe... The effect. The effect. Yes. And yeah. try and, like, let it play out as... as and then let the players decide what that means. Maybe they love it. Maybe they love the oppression. Maybe maybe these are some yeah. some jaded-up uh, deckers, and they just like, 
oh, I'm going to hack the poor people today. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe it's an evil, uh, dark-tinted uh, uh, cyberpunk game you're running. It doesn't matter. I'm sure how these affect the real lives. They make the choice. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think for myself, I mean, one of the things I always enjoy in, like, well, any different role-playing game, I mean, to use Vampire again as an example, you, you can say, like, oh, we've, we've got, like, a, a high-level primogen doing all this, like, clan politics and whatever. But but the real appeal to me is, like, the, the sort of, like, basic, like, neonate on the streets trying to, like, get on with their, like, day-to-day grind and how they're affected by what's going on, as you were saying. So and that's a very good idea that uh, you, you're not sort of, like, you're not sort of preaching and saying, like, yeah, this is right or this is wrong. You're just sort of saying, like, this has happened and these are the effects that it has had. Now they, deal with it. Yeah, they, they, yeah then you, you let the, yeah, the players get on with it and they come... Could, everyone's capable of forming their own judgments as to whether they think something's good or bad. I mean, if you look at... Um, if you look at, like, Star Wars, to give an on-cyberpunk example, you, you've obviously got, like, the, the main story, which is, like, Empire bad, Rebellion good. That, that's pretty much what it comes down to. I mean, it's a, it's a fairly thinly-veiled sort of metaphor. But if you, if, They shove it down your throat a bit, and that's that, the thing that... that that's it, but... Kill a cyberpunk game. If, if you run a Star Wars game... Literally, like within about fifteen minutes of like gathering your players, there will be someone who goes, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool to like play like the Imperials?" So I think there's always there's always going to be some like you say some people who want to like vicariously experience the other side of that sort of divide. In cyberpunk, everyone wears black. It's the rules. That, that's um, just that's just normal life, man. We're in about. <laughs> And also, I think politics is one of those. There's, you don't have to kind of throw it in people's faces. Um, part of cyberpunk, or at least the traditional elements of that sort of kind of those those stories, was capitalism growing out of control. And it's not necessarily about kind of whether they're right or wrong, but it's about power imbalance, about how the corporations or the mega corporations or whatever you want to call them have have kind of effectively clawed so much power away from the government so that they can do whatever they like. Um, so it's it's order or they you know it's it's they're the order you're the chaos and it's about kind of getting that imbalance back so you don't have to kind of put labels on things you don't have to throw it in people's faces but i think the it wouldn't be a very interesting campaign if you were all corporation if you were all corporate guys that were trying to kind of meet your quarterly targets you know let's, know, let's face it we've all been waiting for spreadsheet the reckoning I excel at that kind of thing. Oh! I think I could actually get my wife to play an RPG then if, if they had Spreadsheet the Reckoning, okay? I think I could actually get her to play that. Well, that's one. That'd be too much like my actual job for me. Oh, yeah. Probably. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think, I think we've fairly sort of well covered the subject. Does anyone have anything else they want to bring up about cyberpunk, the genre? Uh, about the, the punk suffix thing that gets thrown around um, i haven't obviously because it's get it's so ubiquitous now. <laughs> uh, you can't keep up with it as a single person i, I don't think but um uh, a bunch of those kind go with the the actual like punk oppression struggle vibe thing and a lot of it doesn't uh for example steampunk Mm-mm, that's <laughs> that's victorian fucking noble crazy scientists oppressing other people that's <laughs> That's a different different vibe, uh, but I I just wanted to say that I really enjoy the effects that this uh, sort of like let's put punk at the end of everything has because it's it's sort of it, it translates now into like we're going hard on this this one specific detail in a world and we're trying to milk it for all it's worth and see where we end up. For example, again with the computer games, uh, Dishonored and Dishonored Two, like sort of whale oil punk 
where everything is about the fucking whales. So you, you make food out of them, you power everything with the whale oil. And um, I, I enjoyed that bit that come as a result of the whole like, oh, it's punk, punk now. But Bioshock is rand punk. <laughs> Bio, Bioshock is supposed to be biopunk, so, so I thought. But, you know, it's interesting. I, I like... Well, well actually... Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is it's, it's, totally, it's totally right in terms of the idea that... I love the idea that you can narrow down to a focus point, like Cyberpunk, example, but then... Like you were bringing up, trying to say, none of these other, a lot of these other examples aren't actually like punkish. Like if you look mm-hmm. at the two words, take the the steam for example and the punk, right? Well, okay, you got the steam based technology, and that's all it's all going to be about. But the rest of the setting it tends to be a Victorian era setting, like mm-hmm. you know. So it's like, where's the punk aspect of it there too? So I think it's a, an abusive language with this punk thing. It's like, are we just abusing a word now for market share? Like, <laughs> but it's. Like, it- it's it's not necessarily it, it it's almost like cyberpunk and it's the it's the punk part of cyberpunk not the punk part of the language that these things kind of yeah. use when they say steampunk they kind of mean yeah but you're a group of people that are kind of rebelling against everybody and you've yeah. got steam right right you're supposedly at least yeah exactly yeah yeah I mean is it is it a case as well that um, as these as these concepts become more sort of abundant, that it sort of potentially dilutes the original meaning of these concepts. I mean, to use steampunk as an example, you've got sort of what it originally meant, but now it it seems to be applied, certainly in some degrees, it seems to be applied to any sort of aesthetic that involves like cogs and like brass fixtures on like everything. And a lot of people would say that, oh yeah, all the machinery in this like game has got like cogs on it and it's, it's all made out of brass. That, that steampunk it is in a case as well that like the things like cyberpunk because of that that sort of term has become so common whether it's the cyber or it's the punk part of it that it's sort of almost like moved the the public consciousness of those terms away from what they they originally meant when they were combined well definitely i think like because because you get all this uh, media and all, all these these games that come out which are like yeah, this is this is biopunk or this is like paleopunk. Like we're going way back, uh, or with the whale oils, and uh, now we have frostpunk, which is the name of an actual game. Which the 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 part the 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 idea is is really cold, and it's gonna get colder. So you you better warm up those those things there and oppress your people while doing it. Mm. <laughs> oppress everybody, get all the ice and oppress it. <laughs> yeah, but I've got to admit, in a lot of games that use sort of like punk as like a, a suffix to the name, I, I don't really see how it applies. It's like uh, if, I, if I went like, oh, I'm going to run like a Dark Sun-esque game where like there's not really any technology, everything's made out of like the, the remains of like dead animals, it's all furs and like, but, right, I wouldn't go, oh, this is like a bone punk setting. Because, <laughs> right, yeah, okay, you, you might make all your technology out of bones, but how does that sort of like punk suffix apply? Or if not, just leave it the fuck off. It's like you're talking about like potentially yeah. frost punk. If you're like, oh, well, the main thing about the setting is like, damn, it's cold. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, the fuck's that going to do with punk? Mm-hmm. Especially when your options are like, are you going to be a fascist or a religious fascist? <laughs> so you're like, hmm, where well, are we I, now? I like my fascism, you know, cold <laughs> and non-religious, so we'll go with just straight up fascist. Yeah, yeah. I like my fascist bland. <laughs> yeah. 
but I, like like I said, I do enjoy the fact that it, it it breeds these pieces of media which go whole hog on a single idea. Like, what if it was really fucking cold and we were out there? And also, yeah. warm warm uh, is is good. <laughs> cold is bad. Yeah, John, vanilla punk is gonna. <laughs> that's going places. <laughs> I said that. It, it's it's all about it's all about these oppressive like corporations like saying no, there will only be one flavor of ice cream. We're, we're, we're saving all the other flavors for like the high up executives. It's just plain old vanilla for you people down on the street. I'd be a shill for the man in that world then, and be like, vanilla is lovely. Um, num num num. Okay, so b before we close out, does anyone have anything else they want to bring up about cyberpunk, either the genre for RPGs or for Maybe Mark fiction? wants to give our closing words. <laughs> yep. I don't give closing words. Uh, there's a couple of things I don't think uh, we haven't really touched on that are pretty much uh, quite influential uh, when it comes to cyberpunk. One of them is music. Um, there's been a whole lot of... When cyberpunk came out, it was yes. the 80s, and we kind of had synthesizers and all that kind of stuff kind of coming in. Um, and then now, now we've kind of got that sort of... And we've we've had various different levels of computer synthesizer that's come up, and now the subpunk aesthetic is kind of like a retro chip tune uh, kind of thing. And um, there's a yeah synthwave. Uh, there's a whole load of cyberpunk music. Uh, perhaps even more so than there is books and and things like yeah. that. And um, darkwave. Yeah, I'm a sort of ambient post-rock and, and thinking now myself. But yeah, there's a lot of music out there which uh, is currently influencing. Uh, influencing stuff. Uh, also, there was kind of like a weird thing where soapunk kind of influenced club culture and clothing, and then the clothing kind of influenced soapunk, and then it kind of went back and forth and back and forth. And now the only way you can buy cyberpunk clothing is to pay a fortune for really, really high-end clubbing gear, which is a uh, kind I, of really I think real. That, that's possibly the most cyberpunk thing ever. <laughs> are, you, are, are you mean like the sort of the cyber goth fashions and stuff like that? Um, uh, yeah. So. I think if you are into cyberpunk or you want to get into cyberpunk, uh, there's a website that I regularly um, visit called Neon Dystopia, um, which kind of does reviews of the latest books, video games, music, um, all sorts of stuff like that. So if you're new to cyberpunk or you want to kind of find the better, more interesting aspects of it, uh, Neon Dystopia is probably the place to go. Um, I have no connection with the, the men's that do it or the people that do it, um, but um, it's definitely a place that I kind of, whenever I get bored and I need to find some cool music to be atmospheric in my subpunk games, that's the place where I go. Oh, that's actually a good shout. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll I'll look that up and I'll put a um, I'll put a link to it down in the description of yeah, definitely do that. This video and when I when I edit this down into like the podcast version, I'll stick a link to that in the description. So I think if we if we're pretty much done there, guys, I'll just thank Wit, Johannes, Matthew, and John Drury for joining us for this um, podcast. Thanks to Lloyd for joining us in the chat. I'm going to stop the stream now. So take care, everybody, and we'll see you later. Bye bye. So that's it for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions for things you'd like to see in the podcast in future, please either email them to reddicediaries at gmail.com or drop me a voicemail at Anchor. Until I see you next time, whenever you're playing, take care and enjoy yourself. <laughs>